I think that what I've learned through Encircle is that as parents, you know, we do what we, the best we can do with what we at that time we know have, and what, what we, we feel. Yeah. yeah. And sometimes it takes a while to, you know, I don't know what happened with his father during that time, but he was there for his son there. And I think that's what communities are for, is to make up the difference sometimes. What's up, guys? This is Jeff Burningham, and welcome to the Extraordinary Us podcast, where we are interviewing ordinary people. We're all ordinary, but these people are doing extraordinary things. Let me remind you real quick the tenets of the podcast. Number one, no matter our differences, no matter what we look like, no matter our religious affiliation, our sexual orientation, our uh, our political party, there is always a lot more that we have in common than we ever have different. We are fellow travelers in this journey together, number one. Number two, because of that, let's share and have compassion for each other. We are all struggling with different things every day, and I think that we could all benefit from a lot more compassion in our life, a little less competition, a little less comparing. And, and third and last, um, we too often let fear because of mistakes in the past or fear for an unknown future inhibit and help us make bad decisions. Let's not let fear rule our decisions. Let's have faith in the future and go forward together. And I'm so excited. We're here at the end of Pride Month, and I'm talking with my friend Stephanie Larson today, the founder of InCircle. Hi, thanks for having me, Jeff. I'm excited to be here. Stephanie, thank you so much for being here. Let me tell you, in case you don't know, a little bit more about Steph and a little bit more about Encircle. She is the founder of Encircle. Like I said, this is Pride Month. Encircle uh, started in Provo, but it's greatly expanding, right? You were just saying, like, you can't even, how many new, do you call them homes? Yeah, Encircle homes. Homes, okay. How many new homes are being built? We're building in, uh, well, we're opening, renovating Dan Reynolds' home in Las Vegas, and then we're building uh, on Utah State campus in Logan. We're building, or renovating in downtown Heber and building in downtown Ogden. Wow. And then past that, we'll do a home in Lehigh, Harriman, two in Arizona, two in Idaho, and I think that's all on the docket for now. (laughs) So, but do you have plans to grow even past that? I think so. I I think uh, we can talk about it, but I think that Encircle is a place that brings people together, brings more love and understanding, um, helps keep kids alive, and you know our focus is good mental health. So I I feel like it's something that fits in a Jewish community, in a born again community, you know, really any socioeconomic community I think can benefit from something like Encircle. I totally agree. And that's one of the reasons I love what you're doing. There is so much good that could come from this. But you started in Utah. Was that because you're here in Utah? Or do you like have a specific focus in Utah for some reason? Obviously, we know that our suicide rates sometimes amongst, and you could tell us some of the stats. I'm not up on those exactly, but are higher than other places. Tell me, why Utah? Is that because that's where you live? You grew up, Did where did you grow up? I grew up in Orem, okay. so, so it's in my own backyard. Yeah. It wasn't, you know, what I thought it would be. So it was just like, hey, let's do this in Provo because I know there's a need. Yeah. 
Got it. And how did you know about that need? Like, tell us, tell us your why here, Steph. We were talking a little bit before about how busy Stephanie is. Like, she has a beautiful family with her husband, Mitch. Five children? Six. Six children. Yeah. I underestimated that. <laughs> Don't ever underestimate <laughs> Stephanie Larson. No, no. Do not ever <laughs> underestimate her. <laughs> she has great partners, uh, donor partners. Uh, Dan Reynolds, the Imagine Dragons lead singer. Yep. Imagine Dragons. Ryan Smith, as we all know, from the jazz and Qualtrics. We love Ryan. And then Tim Cook, also, I believe, from Apple. So anyway, Stephanie is doing a ton of interesting things. Give us, well, first of all, maybe let me step back. Tell us what Encircle is. For those of us who are listening and, and don't, haven't ever visited an Encircle home, you know, tell us how you came up with this vision and what it is. Well, Encircle's mission, first of all, is to bring the family and the community together to enable LGBTQ youth to thrive. So that's like our overall, you know, what we're aiming at. And is that like um, stated on the wall? Like that's what it is. That's like in the documents. It's in the documents. Okay. It's in our uh, federal filing, you know, to okay, be a 501c3. Um, okay, let's see. What, what? Let me tell you the basics of what we do. Um, Encircle is created to be a home for youth who don't maybe feel at home anywhere. Um, we offer uh, pretty much five things. First of all, a safe space for youth to drop in daily when, you know, just maybe for a couple of hours, they come and get cookies, they do their homework, they play the piano, or they get some paints out of the art room and paint, right? Uh, second, we have programs. We have eight programs a week at each house. They include art, music, writing classes, uh, service projects, speaker series, and I think most importantly, par- programs for parents. Interesting. Like parents of youth that are in... In, in circle. Yes, something. yes. For for children who have children who are LGBTQ, um, we also have a volunteer program that kind of is our com- community component. But I can, I'll probably tell the story a little bit before I go into that. Um, the fourth thing, well, I'm only on the third. We have Sorry. the really the the foundation of In Circle is our uh, therapy services. Got it. And this year in Utah, we'll do over 6,000 sessions of therapy. Uh, m- most individuals pay $25 a session. Encircle picks up the other $100 per session. Wow. Um, we are on 10 insurance plans, which helps bring the cost down a bit. Um, the fourth thing we do is what we call friendship circles. Friendship circles are support groups. We do 12 a week at each house. They okay. average 20 individuals per group. And I think that's one of the more uh, life-saving, meaningful things that happen in the homes. And then the fifth thing we do is educational materials. So we have a lot of pamphlets. We've, we're working on our second book. Uh, we put a lot of videos out online. And those are all meant to educate the community, um, especially those parents who are traveling this journey, to help them be more affirming of their children and maybe to shorten that period of time where mom and dad aren't on board yeah. or they don't understand or they're confused. And um, we do know, you know, as humans, we all yeah, care so yeah. deeply about what our parents think of us, how our siblings view us. And I think oftentimes these kids get so they're just looking back at their parents trying to fix those relationships rather than being able to move for, forward and become all that they are, right? Yeah. And, um, you know, and plus, you know, suicidality is a part of that. 
drug abuse and addiction, you know, alcoholism, all happen when kids feel outside of their families. But also kids feel the brunt of their parents' relationship when parents aren't agreeing on this, yeah, right? That's that's so hard. And yeah. So we're just trying to keep families together in that part. But what the, what the educational materials are for is to have parents take them home and to read them and go, oh, I've never thought of it that way. Maybe I could do this better with my child, yeah. right? Yeah. That, man, there is so much that we could jump off from there. Let me, I noticed that you said like it's a home for sometimes people who don't ever feel like they have a home so to speak, right? right? And so, and I think what you were saying in that, sometimes these youth, as they're growing up, they don't even feel safe or understood in their own homes. And so you're providing a safe space for them or a home, maybe even kind of a family for those that are struggling with these issues. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah. Um, 100%. Maybe I can tell a brief story yes, to could. kind of illustrate what I think is, hap- you know, that, that part of this. Uh, we have a young boy from Springville who, uh, let's say it's November a few years ago, is kicked out of his home because he comes out as transgender. So was female, goes to his parents. You know, I really feel that I'm a male. Parents kick him out of the home. Someone, great, thankfully, in the ward says, listen, you come and live with us. We've got you. So every day at 2 o'clock when we open in circle, this young boy would show up waiting at the door, <laughs> ready to come in, <laughs> We'd open the door, and he would make cookies every day. You know, usually that's the volunteers who come and do that. But we have this, you know, young high school student making cookies every day. Yeah. So fast forward to January, the police show up. And mom and dad are giving a protective order to this boy to make sure that he doesn't get within 500 feet of their home because of the influence they don't want on their other children. Got right? it, yeah. So I'll say over the winter, I'm having these thoughts of, who are these parents? You know, this this boy would stay until 8 o'clock at night when we close, go to the next You know, it just, we were his home for several months. The great thing was, is fast forward to May, we're having a meeting in the main room of, of Encircle and Provo, and the doors are shut on this room. And this boy comes breaking through the door, and he's like, my dad's coming, but this time don't be afraid. It's not like, he's not bringing the police, it's not bad. <laughs> He's like, he called me last night and said he wants to learn about what I'm experiencing and learn what makes me happy. And so he's coming. And so, you know, we talked to him for a minute and we're all excited. And then we finished the meeting about an hour later and I walk out into the kitchen forgetting he was even there. And here is just the nicest man making cookies with his son, right? Rolling cookie balls and talking and... I think that what I've learned through Encircle is that as parents, you know, we do what we, the best we can do with what we, at that time, what we know have, and what, what we, we feel. Yeah. yeah. And sometimes it takes a while to, you know, I don't know what happened with this father during that time, but he was there for his son there. And I think that's what communities are for, is to make up the difference sometimes. Yeah. Right? Um, this boy's back in his home. He's thriving. He's doing well. Mom and his dad. parents have changed. Um, their yeah. Their thoughts. And so... Do you, you see that often? Like, how... Is that usually the case? Is that usually not the case? I mean, I don't know. You know, like... I would say about 70% of the time, parents really start rallying around their kids. Sometimes it takes a while, like this young boy. But, um, you know, I think our, our job in life is not to judge. Yeah. But to to be there for each other and say, you know what, life's tough and 
we're all on this journey. Let's help each other through it. And, you know, I think that's part of what we really want to do at Encircle. Yeah, you know, one of the tenets of the podcast, like I said, is that we we all are a lot more alike than we are different, no matter our differences. And, and I think one of the things that we all share in common, there's just so much about life that we don't understand. Right. We want to be experts. Everyone works to be an expert in certain areas or fields. Uh, there are people that understand things better than others. But, man, there's just so much that is hard to know and understand. And this is one of those complicated issues that I think is hard to understand what is the history of Pride Month? Or I think, was it Pride Week and now it's Pride Month? Like, educate us, Steph, a little bit about, about this. June is Pride Month. I think uh, Governor Cox uh, made a nice statement about it. Uh, you know, tell us about Pride Month in Utah and the history of that and how maybe people could be involved or get involved or whatever. Right. Well, oh, let me... I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say this through. This is kind of hard to talk about, isn't it? Yeah. Like, I'm well, not experienced talking about this. No. And, 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 it's a, and it's kind of hard, you know, because I'm not used to it, and it's such a sensitive topic. Do you know what I mean? I guess you've become an expert at it, but it's, it's hard, you know? Yeah. Now, tell me, I'm going to ask you a question. Yeah, yeah. Why do you feel like it's hard? Do you feel like you don't know like, enough about it? Something I said or? like 10 minutes ago, like com- these complicated issues. I don't know if these are – I mean, I guess these are issues. What, what I meant by that was – like parental issues, like familial issues, like relationship issues. Like obviously um, these youth that are struggling with these issues or having these issues, I should say, or experiencing, having this experience, that's really hard on their relationships, on their closest relationships, like you said, with their loved ones, with their family, with their husband or wife, with whoever. I think it's a bit, it's just hard. And because of it's so sensitive, and I, I just don't think we have a lot of practice talking about it publicly like we are now, even just privately, I think it's very hard to talk about when you don't have a lot of experience with it. I think you're 100% right. And I think that that's part of what we are trying to do at Encircle is at Encircle in Provo, we've probably cha- uh, we've trained close to 3,000 volunteers. The point of that is to have people come through learn about suicidality, learn about what do you do if a child's overdosing, learning about mental health issues, hoping that, you know, as we teach people about cultural competency and what does LGBTQIA mean, that people can go back out in the community and have better conversations around this this, and be more affirming of those kids. Um, I'm not answering your question, but one no, point no, no. on this, that. But this is great. Yeah. Is that... We do know that the average LGBT, lesbian, gay, or bisexual youth realizes that they are gay, lesbian, or bisexual by age 12, on average. On average, they don't come out until they're 22. So that leaves a 10-year period where kids in our communities have a secret. Nobody knows who they are. Yeah. Yet they're walking around, and what are they hearing from mom and dad about people like them, from their aunt, from their church leaders, from their teachers, from their friends. And oftentimes by the time these kids come out, there's so much shame bottled down inside of these kids and so much self-hate that it takes a lot of time and work to to fix what has already happened and nobody even knew who they were talking to, right? And you're kind of helping some of that healing get started. Is would you say that cor- is that correct? You have this twelve to twenty two, this ten year period where it's a secret, oftentimes, 
um, you're helping that healing and get started and you're helping these youth have a more healthy life um, as youth, as young adults. And I say that because you've, you've spoken about mental health a lot. Mental health is a huge issue um, here in the state of Utah. It's a huge issue across the country. It's something that we're talking a lot more about post-COVID or yeah. during COVID. Um, and, but you tie those a lot together, I think. Are you tying these LGBTQ issues with mental health issues very tightly? I mean, do you often, do those go hand in hand? Well, yes, but I want to first of all state that it's not because these kids are LGBTQ that they have more mental health issues. It's because of the stories they've heard about themselves. You know, also knowing that they're a minority. They're some of the few in our community. So they always have to walk a little different path than the rest of us, right? And they're always going to stand out in a way that I think the story they sometimes tell themselves is, my community doesn't care about me. No one will like me if they know who I am. Yeah. They'll think that I'm bad. I'm, you know, I'm evil. Yeah. And I think that these kids wish people understood their hearts and what they were going through. And if they understood their hearts, they would know that they were good. Yeah. No, I think that's that's definitely been my experience. I told you before the podcast stuff that, you know, two of my best friends are gay and I love them. Uh, I know them as great men that I admire and respect and we have wept together and we have laughed together and we have we've done, you know, like we've had life experiences together. Yet this is a part of their lives that very few people know about. And it has driven them to, it's very hard. It is yeah. very difficult to for them to function and to accept themselves and to love themselves. And um, I, I think one of the hard, re- one of the reasons it's hard to talk about is just LGBTQ, that's just a mouthful, IA, which I, I I maybe I'm behind the times and I'm not claiming to be an expert in this area, but I hadn't heard IA until the last year or several months. Maybe I'm late to the party. What is IA and like, will we keep adding letters? I mean, I think these are normal questions that people just generally might have. And I don't, I don't know what it is. So teach us a little bit about it. Okay. So we go lesbian, gay, uh, LG. Okay. Lesbian, gay, bisexual. It's hard, isn't it? (laughs) IA. Intersex. Asexual. Got it. Um, you know, they're, they're really, when we grew up, the word queer yeah. was said as a negative. Yeah. The young generation today, and I think most of the queer community, has adopted that it's okay. Because what it's saying is it's an umbrella term. Yeah. And they're saying, I don't sometimes know exactly how I feel yet or who I am. I just know I'm not... Yeah. I'm not the Fitting majority. In. I'm yeah. not. And and so that queer term is just like, I'm queer. I'm not part of the average population. And also, I think it's important to realize that there's kind of two sides to it. There's the who I am attracted to, lesbian, gay, bisexual. And then there's the gender side. How do I identify? How do I see myself? Do I see myself as the way I was born? You know, what's on my birth certificate? Or do I see myself as not fitting into that mold? Mm-hmm. So that that's great. Um, how how are we doing in Utah? Like with mental health and like, I kind of cut you off there or changed paths a little bit. And I wasn't saying that because you experience 
these issues that you are mentally ill. It's because of maybe your experience in the community or in your family that you become, that it or it hurts, it helps you be depressed or causes you to be depressed. Um, is mental health, like, are we making progress there? Give us some hope or, or give us some sobering news or statistics, like wake us up. Well, I think that Utah is doing well because we have said we have a problem and we're going to do something about it. Um, and I think that Utah's very good at that, Yeah. right? Like, we're not just going to let problems linger. Like, yeah. people face them. You know, I know that, um, well, let's say this. Suicide is the leading cause of death for Utah's youth. I mean, they're more likely to die by suicide than in a car accident, which to me is shocking. And it's sad. It's horrible, yeah. right? And so the next thing we know is that LGBTQ youth are three times more likely to take their lives than their straight peers. Uh, 42% of Utah's homeless youth are LGBTQ. Um, the statistics aren't good. Yeah. But... That's something we should all be concerned about. Like, yeah. and that's sobering. Those are sobering statistics, right? Right. And I know that, you know, the legislature's been really putting a focus on this. I know educators are. Um, you look at what the Huntsman's have done by donating $150 million towards mental health services. I mean, that's, that's a great starting point. Um, and not starting point, because, of course, you know, people have been working on mental health issues. But I think it's as a population, we're starting to really say, this matters. This is something I shouldn't be ashamed of. One thing I love is that in circle homes, you know, you'll be sitting down in a kitchen and some kid will look at his clock and say, oh my gosh, I've got a therapy session. And they run upstairs. And there's not shame around that. It's a, I'm taking care of myself. I'm trying to be a better person. Right? Yeah. yeah. So why you, Stephanie? Why are you doing this? We spoke a little bit before and you kind of said, yeah, I always thought maybe when my kids were growing up, I'd be an entrepreneur, maybe start a business and sell products here or there, you know, or whatever. This is very different. This is yeah. very complicated. This is a complex situation. We live in a very, um, you know, for better and worse. And there's a lot of good that comes out of it. And there is some bad as well. We live in a very um, conservative religious culture. I'm speaking generally why? Why? You got to have a passion or belief in this. Obviously, that's why you're doing it. Um, you know, t why? Well, if you can stand my story, yes. uh, I'll try to keep it on the straightforward. Um, <laughs> uh, I, I grew up in Orem. Yeah. I never really left, you know, this community much until I was 26 and then 25 when I graduated from BYU Law School. So I was, you know, my family... I had a great family, but my parents really struggled in their relationship, and it was a very volatile, emotional relationship. I think that I always felt like God had blessed me with my ward and good friends that were like my stability, right? Yeah. So family, I think, meant everything to me. That's what I wanted more than anything was a peaceful family. So that's what I, a lot of us want, right? Yeah, right. Want, yeah. I mean, that's, yeah. And so I went to BYU, and I was a family science major thinking, I've got to figure out why didn't it work at my home, and how do I fix that, right? Mm -hmm. And um, anyway, I graduate from uh, my undergrad, and I go to law school. I'd worked um, in Washington, D.C., and loved that, and thought, I want to help families at through the legislation more than... I thought I'd want to do therapy. Anyway, I'm getting way sidetracked, except no, for no. that okay. I graduate from law school, 
And I will tell you, when I left BYU, I would have told you people who are gay choose to be gay. They're sinning. That if we ever had same-sex marriage in this country, it would ruin the moral fibers of our country. Mm-hmm. So uh, this is like 20 years ago. Yeah, this is yeah. 1996. So I go back and I work on Capitol Hill. I'm working for the Committee on Children, Youth, and Families. Also defending abused and neglected kids in inner city D.C. But I am writing, helping write legislation and doing hearings that are protecting that traditional family, mm-hmm. right? Protecting so that we don't have things like gay marriage, or I shouldn't say a same-sex marriage in our country. And I'm dating my husband, who's from Salt Lake City. Um, Mitch has an uncle whose name was John Williams, and he was gay. John um, grew up in Grace, Idaho, in a family of six. He said that when he was in high school, he would have done anything not to be gay. No one knew it. So he went on a mission, hoping he could pray the gay away, came home from his mission, and was, went to Utah State, and he said was so depressed and had so much self-hate because he was still gay and he couldn't get himself to change. He had a sister who lived in Salt Lake City who recognized John was really struggling. So she um, drove and picked him up, and he said saved his life. While in Salt Lake City, comes out to his family, and they're like, John, we love you. You're amazing. Just go and be you, right? Mm-hmm. So he didn't spend years trying to repair these relationships. Instead, John got to move forward and become all that he became. John was the first renovationist in, to take downtown pioneer buildings and turn them into contemporary office spaces. Like he owned the Ford building, the hardware building, the Market Street building, the um, New Yorker, and That's a few cool. more. Yeah. And then he brought fresh seafood into Salt Lake City. He started... First, the New Yorker, Bocce, Cafe Pierpont, Market Street Grills, Market Street Broiler, the Gastronomy Restaurant Group, which, you know, really brought fine dining to Salt Lake City. And he started the Downtown Alliance. Um, Utah State eventually gave him an honorary doctorate, even though he never even graduated from their school because he quietly was donating to them. You know, John never needed his name on anything. I'm getting to know this man going, he is the most Christ-like person I've ever met. How am I judging him for his sexuality? You know, that's such a small part of him. And so it made me question all of my beliefs. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I would say... Is your husband, by the way, going through this same kind of process? Or did he... I, I'm, I'm astounded and, like, amazed, and it's just awesome how his family, it sounds like from the story, just kind of accept... They accepted him and allowed him to flourish in his own way. Is that correct? Yeah, I mean... John was the center of that family's life. The parties John would throw for us. Oh, my word. Christmas parties at his house were like <laughs> nothing best. you've ever seen. Yeah. You know, he would fly to San Francisco, get his favorite dim sum, and fly it back. <laughs> you know, there was caviar. There was all these things that I had never experienced yeah, as a girl yeah. from Orem. You know, he was just so much fun and loved and celebrated life. So I learned a lot from him, and I learned a lot from the Larsons and Williams family about unconditional love. They were all so different from each other, but they just celebrated life together. Right? So, yes, you asked me about Mitch. Um, You know, Mitch grew up with John, and he was just one of his favorite, most admired person. And I don't... Mitch didn't know his whole life that John was gay, but he didn't care. Yeah. You know, sort of like when we told our kids that John was gay and he got married... 
our kids were like, okay. You know, I think I thought that they would feel different around him. Yeah. But it, it didn't even, like, so I realized, you know, there's a lot of conditioning probably in the way we see people who are gay or lesbian, bisexual, yeah. transgender. Um, so anyway, I'm getting into too many details, but... Sorry, I'm asking. No. It's an interesting story. Um, I, I, we, so after 10 years of living outside of Utah, um, Mitch and I moved back to Provo. We have six kids, and I'm getting to know, you know, I have a, a daughter at Tinview High School who has ten, or sorry, has two, three of her friends come out as gay at the beginning of the junior year. My daughter, Grace, brings me her cell phone one day and is like, Mom, look at all my friends, what these comments are about these three boys. What do I say? And I knew that I knew all of those kids on this text message. There were 18, and they're all amazing kids. They thought that the way they were responding was what God would want them to do, right? Like yeah. they were trying to figure out what, where do we put this and how do we place it. And um, that was, you know, a lot of my journey. I start meeting friends of my own who have children who are gay. Um, sometimes they don't speak about it because we don't, like you said, it's a hard topic. And, you know, we have these dreams for our kids. And when they don't fit in, what do we do, you know, and how do we speak about it? And, you know, sometimes parents feel judged for it. And so I just had enough situations happen in my life where I was on a bike ride in Idaho and I called um, John one day and I'm just crying. I don't know why I'm (laughs) crying and I'm like, hey, will you help me do something in Provo? I think it might be one of the hardest places to grow up LGBTQ. And he says, sure. How long ago is this, roughly? This is 2014. Okay, so seven years ago. But know that I chickened out. Okay. Two years later, I had a a conversation with a friend um, who had a gay son and heard her story and decided I'm doing something. And so I called John back. And this time he says, Sure. What are we going to do? So through our conversations, it's let's find, let's create a home. Let's not have this in a strip mall, you know, having a place that feels like love and maybe replaces what people don't currently experience. So I decide, well, it's got to be in an old home so I can renovate. Well, actually, when I was in Idaho, I was seeing this old home in downtown Provo. I kid you not. But two years later, I dropped my kids off at school and thought... Meaning you were like having visions of it, you could see it becoming... Which, by the way, is it the place? Well, it wasn't the same house, but I was thinking of an old home in Provo. And that may have been because I was a guardian of Leiden back years ago where I represented abused and neglected kids in Provo. And there was this old home that they would stay in until they were placed into foster care. Mm -hmm. Whatever it was, it's this old home in Provo. So I I thought, well, I'm going to go to the center of Provo and then see what I can find. The downtown Provo Temple was about to be dedicated, so I thought, I'm going to start there, and I'm going to circle around. So I drive down University Avenue, hang a ride after the temple, and across the street from the temple, on this little hill, is the cutest little house I've ever seen. Yeah, it's cool. And it's got two huge available signs, and I'm like, hmm. So I drive up, look (laughs) through the windows, rainbow stained glass windows. Okay. And then I later (laughs) find out, the, the, the polygamist who built it, you know, 130 years ago, put those in. And I'm like, this is the place, right? 
this is the place. So I get on the phone with John. I put him on video and show him the house. And, you know, I've got it up and he's ooing and eyeing. And then I flip it around to the temple and he says, no way. Absolutely not. Yeah. It's like most of these kids will not be out. They'll want a back door. They'll want to park a few blocks away and walk in through the back yeah. door. And for whatever reason, I was like, John, listen, if we really want to have an impact, first of all, we've got to quit othering these kids, right? We've got to get them to love who they are and be okay with who they are. Second of all, we've got to get their parents to rally behind them. Third of all, if you live in a community where you feel outside of that community, you feel judged, you feel misunderstood, you never thrive or you have to leave, right? And so he laughs and goes, are you sure Provo's ready for this? And I'm like, 100%. I had no idea. This I've is been in 2016, a, by the way? Is this is, yeah, 2016. So five years ago. Okay. Yeah. Um, tragically, um, John never saw the house. His life was taken um, about a month after that conversation. I'm sorry, um, his partner of 20 years um, killed him in a house fire, torched this, this staircase that was, you know, four stories high up above the Capitol while John was up in, the, in, the, um, in his bedroom. And when Mitch came in to tell me this happened, I remember just screaming. I was so angry. But the first thing that I realized that came to my head was, well, the man who did this was kicked out of his house when he was 15. He was on the streets, he contracted AIDS, and he was angry, right? Through a lot of good things in his life, you know, he turned his life around. But fast forward to eight years prior to this, he got in a ski accident, needed eight surgeries, got addicted to painkillers, eventually it led to meth. You get an angry person on meth and, you know, they'll, they, you never know what will happen. And I just felt like that's our fault. You know, as a community, we've got to love and nurture these kids within our communities. And so, um, anyway, well, I, that was the beginning of it. Thank you for sharing the story, Steph. I, th I think that's really interesting, and it's really telling of the, the kind person you are. And So it sounds like you just kept having kind of whatever feelings or like, I should do something about this. I should do something about this. You even kind of wimped out, as you said, once and, and then came back and just, so you feel called to do something about this issue. And is Provo ready? It seems like it. And it seems like Utah is ready because there are four or five other houses happening now within Utah. Is that correct? Yeah. Well, and I'll tell you, I truthfully thought part of the reason I chickened out is I'm like, I've got six kids. Like, I can't have their lives difficult because of their crazy mom, yeah. right? I was afraid I of the, the feeling. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I was afraid of the judgment. Yeah. And this is why I didn't want to run for governor. Yeah. yeah. You think hard, you know, like, oh, I don't want to have backlash on myself. Have you experienced that? No, absolutely nothing but seeing the best in people every day. I will tell you that um, when we first uh, bought the home and we were going to, it was just, destroyed, you know, everything about it needed to be fixed. So we put a Facebook post up, you know, we're doing the service project Saturday morning, um, nine to 12, and we would get 150 to people to show up on their Saturday mornings with their families time after time after time to help us get this house done. So I feel like since the beginning, you know, every day I see the best in people, awesome. um, you know, people who give their time, their money, they, they you, people are incredible when you give the opportunity, you know, to 
to serve others. Yeah, and to step up, right? I mean, that's what InCircle does. Um, like we said, on some of the most sensitive topics that we deal with here on this earth. Um, so you have your large donors. I said, you know, Dan Reynolds from Imagine Dragons. We all know and love their music. Ryan, who we know well around the community. And then Tim Cook from Apple. Like, how, how did that come together? What does that mean? What role do they play in the organization? Yeah. Well, and I think I probably should quickly say that, you know, th- that group has joined in in the last several months and that it has been thousands of other donors, um, large and small, many of the tech companies, you know, Domo, Adobe, Qualtrics, as we, you mentioned, um, Visa, like I could go on and on. So I don't want to not acknowledge, you know, Zions Bank has been a big supporter. Um, and so, the, so it's a nonprofit and Circle is a nonprofit, yeah, by yep. the way. And so you've been taking donations from the beginning and that's what's allowed you to do what you've done to date, correct? Yep. Steve and Barb Young were the very first Holly Alden, Stance Sock, Skull Candy, yep. um, really helped us get this off the ground. John Williams had already promised 100000 so that got us going. But, you know, since then, it's just been, it, we have a monthly donor program, which we have thousands of people who give maybe $5 a month, and they choose which home they want it to go to, <laughs> and that helps really mostly pay for the therapy in the house, because that's the really expensive part of what we're doing. Um, How so can you people asked, find out about that? Um, just in circletogether.org, donate. Okay. And, and there, it's, anyway, that's really what sustains us. And, and also, you know, we know we can rely on that piece to, for the long-term sustainability. Got it. Um, so you asked about Tim Cook. How did he show up? Well, we were doing the Second Love Loud, and he flew into Provo to see in Circle because he was speaking at it and had donated to Love Loud. And he spent a few hours in the home talking to the youth and taking selfies with them. And so, you know, we spent time with him with Love Loud. And then we've just kept in touch with the Apple team. And um, they've just been incredible. You know, this year with Ryan, Ryan and Ashley Smith donated $2 million. Uh, Apple donated a $1 million plus uh, $100 worth, $1,000 worth of uh computers and software and whatnot to the homes. And then um, Dan Reynolds bought his parents, his childhood home in Las Vegas. <laughs> and donated it. At, yeah, valued at a million dollars. And so that Which was... Which is now becoming the encircle home. In yes, Vegas. Is that yes. correct? I just want to tie yep, it Yep, we're just starting yeah. to renovate that. That's cool. And, you know, they went on Good Morning America to kick off this 8 million 8 encircle homes campaign, um, which, you know, has been really great because it's we're going to, we're going to get there. That's awesome. And so, so does it cost about a million dollars a home? So to, uh, is that roughly? Roughly it costs about 750 to build the home. And then the other 250 is for that first year of operation, operating, cost. operating costs, just to make sure, sure that it's sustainable. But, um, yeah. And, and maybe to speak to the homes quickly, I don't want to go on too long, but no, 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 I love it. When if we you were... haven't visited the home nearest you go check it out. <laughs> I mean, we went, I've been to the Provo home a couple of times. It's a really cool place. Great design by the way. And just feels good in there. I, I, I loved it. Go ahead. Yeah. I, I think they feel like there's like love coming out of the yeah. walls. You just, there's a really great energy in these homes. And you know, it started with the first home I was, um, we were renovating it with John Williams money. So I kept thinking, you know, how would John do this? Okay, we can't afford one chair that he would ever buy. But, <laughs> you know, we can get that same feel of, 
um, it's being a special place. I will tell you at least 10 people called me and said, hey, I have an old couch, would you want it? And I'd be like, no, but thank you so much. But really what has become the vision is that these homes represent the value of the youth, that they're beautiful, they're worth investing in. We want mom and dad to see that. We want to um, let the kids feel like they're part of something beautiful and important, a place they can be proud of that represents who they are. You know, the, the homes will have grand pianos, they have um, original art by local artists or young queer artists. And, you know, I think most of these kids who come to Encircle are so incredibly talented. We want the homes to reflect, reflect their beauty. Yeah. yeah, that's awesome. So you have these new big donors, well-known people. And, and so, but they're just the latest of a bunch of donors. And the plan is to continue to grow and, and find donors from there. And hopefully they'll continue to support, et cetera. Is that correct? Yep. Do you exactly. have a board? Like who's on your board or some of the people on your board? Or... Yeah, we have an incredible board. Um, we had a founding board that just turned over. Barb Young is still at Board Emeritus. Holly Alden, like I said, start her, she and her husband started uh, Skull Candy and then Stance Socks. Rob Bruff who is um, an executive at Science Bank, is on it. Yeah. Um, Dan Reynolds, Imagine Dragons, on it. Um, John Murphy is just joining the board. He was the CFO of Adobe. Um, hi, oh, Stacy, I'm going to forget Stacy's name because she just replaced um, someone else, but she is the head of Goldman Sachs in Salt Lake City. Awesome. Um, the point is broad support. That's yeah, I to, could go. I can't remember because yeah, 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 I'm starting to feel like I'm going to start sweating that I'm going to forget. <laughs> yeah, 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 no, there's too many people to name. <laughs> They're on the website. Yeah, and any worthy endeavor, I mean, it takes a village, right? Like it takes an army of people to to grow up. What are, what would you say? So it's been you know five ish years since Encircle, but you've been you know grappling with these uh, grappling with these issues for whatever a couple of decades what are some key takeaways stuff like what are the most important lesson or two or three whatever you want that you kind of learned in the first five years of Encircle and and give us a vision maybe too for the future like what's coming next Okay. Wow. Um, Sorry. No. I always. I, I think I layer on too many questions. No. 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 Just because I'm so curious and I'm interested. Okay. Remind me of what I yeah, yeah. what I miss so, out. But one of the things I've learned is that parents have the best intent, almost 100 percent of the time, and sometimes it takes a while to, you know, get the support, get the knowledge. Re reorganize this in your head, right? Grace, grace is a word that we do not use enough in our culture, in my opinion. Sorry, in my right. humble opinion. And so, grace towards someone whose sexuality may be different than yours. That's, but also grace back to a parent who's grappling with this um, unforeseen. <laughs> they didn't, and maybe envision this or understand. Right. They've never experienced this. They've never. They didn't know how they would experience it. So, grace back to the parent is often good as well, right? Right, 100%. Um, I, I would say that another thing that I, I've studied a lot about the biology behind our sexuality and gender identity since starting this, um, there is so much research out there that points to it being biological or having biological underpinnings. Science will tell you that kids are born this way. Science will tell you it's unchangeable. Um, you know, I've always thought it's the population, it's between like 5 and 10% of the population is LGBTQ. And I would say since the beginning of time until the end of time, that same percentage will 
be born LGBTQ. And so I think as, for us as humans is to decide how are we going to treat these people? Will they always grow up feeling shame? Will they always grow up feeling less than? Will we never get their full capacity because of the damage that's been done? Will we lose many of them to suicide, right? Um, I think it's up to us to change the narrative because they, if we love and support them, they will be some of the best leaders in our community. I can tell you the kids I know at Encircle, I would be so proud if my kids were like them, you know? Yeah. Um, but one more thing on that. Yeah, that's interesting. But 5 to 10% of the population is kind of always... Yes, and, and been in this group, but have they ever been represented? Have they ever, like you said, I love how you say, like risen to their potential to contribute to society in really meaningful ways, you know? And that's kind of what you're focused on is helping us all flourish. Yep. Well, okay, and one more thing on that. So yeah. there's over a thousand species that have been identified in that that have LGBTQ or sorry, lesbian, gay, or bisexual like from a fruit fly to the lion to the horse. So it's something about nature, humanity. It's a part of us, right? Um, although the recent Gallup poll that just came out said that 15 point something percent of Gen Zs identify as LGBTQ. There was an article in the Salt Lake Trib yesterday that Jana Reese did that talked about up to 23% of LDS population in that young category, identifying as LGBTQ. So this impacts a lot of people, not just people, but families and friends. You know, it, it touches all of us. Um, you know, I just hope that we choose to love better, you know, with that. Um, sorry, that wasn't really what I've learned. But no, no, no. Kind of Those are great things that you've learned, it sounds like to me. What does the future look like? Um, and again, I, I appreciate you coming on, sharing your heart, sharing your story. You know, I apologize for the clumsiness maybe that I, I felt the most clumsy in this interview or, or this discussion than I than I ever had. So I apologize. Oh, no, I'm sorry for that. I no, should have somehow no, Easter. No, 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 it's my fault. I, but um, tell us about the future. What are you growing towards? What are you looking forward to? Why is the future bright? You know, I think that we're, we're, we're talking, we're having those hard, uncomfortable conversations, which leads to learning and changing and growth. I, I like to envision a day when kids won't be afraid to come out. It won't take 10 years that maybe it will be celebrated because we recognize, you know, these are important and not the majority of like the rest of us. Right. Um, as far as in circle, I hope that we will expand far past the 10 houses we have on the docket. Um, I think because we see people come together. If you have time, I'm going to tell you one quick, yeah, short, we do okay, have, we to do example, to uh, example of what I'm saying is at in circle, our mission is no sides, only love. The, where that came from is when we have this house across the street from you know, the, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints newest temple at the time, we're think, thinking, how do we make this a real resource, a place of love and support, not a place where people might feel angry, right? Yeah. And so that motto of no sites, only love became how we approach every conversation, everyone who walks in the door. We want a mom whose child has come out and it took her six months to dare walk through the door, come in and feel like she can say, these are my fears. This is what I'm worried about. This is what I don't get and feel safe to make those questions, right? So anyway, 
In doing that, we have a volunteer program. Uh, we train volunteers on Saturday mornings once a month. Um, we've just put it online, but historically it's been in the homes. And we always go around the room and say, why are you here? Why would you want to be an Encircle volunteer? Every time there'll be, sadly, a parent who says, I've lost a child to suicide. There'll be someone else who says, I have three children who are LGBTQ. There'll be a BYU student who says, I'm curious. I need internship hours. I'm here to learn, right? Um, you'll, we, ha we have people from all different walks of life. But one time we're going down the around the room, and this man says, I am so mad at the LDS church. They're, taking, they're killing our children. I'm here to do, make a difference. The guy sitting next to him says, well, I'm an LDS bishop. People come to me first, parents and children. I need to know what to do. And the guy sitting next to him says, well, I'm gay and I'm in a bishop, Rick. <laughs> and like you laughed, I started laughing in yeah. front of like 60 exactly. people because I'm like, wow, we've got everyone here, <laughs> yeah. right? Yeah. But I think that what... The whole family. The, whole, the yeah. whole family. Yeah. But that's what I think is working at Encircle is we put our differences aside. We agree on one thing. We're here to love these kids. And that's all that matters, right? Yeah. And, and it just makes it a place of love and support. And I think everyone walks away feeling better. That's awesome, Steph. I mean, I can just say from my personal experience, once I had proximity or got close to um, to people that I loved and cared for and knew that that felt this way, that were gay, I could never look at it the same way, right? Like these are uh, human beings that are having the same struggles I am, having a lot of the same challenges, facing life, you know, trying to do this and do that. And like I said at the beginning, no matter our differences, I just believe that we're all a lot more alike. And rather than compare to each other, compare challenges or compare this or that, or even compete, let's have compassion towards each other. That's really the purpose of the podcast. Yeah, I love that. And I think once we get close together, that's when the love begins, you know, we get to know each other. I agree. Well, I, I look forward to you continuing on this journey. Has it, has it, has it been for you personally? Like, has it been, I know it's been hard. I know you're really busy. I don't know, but you must love the work. Like, tell us, give us a snapshot and how, do you know, how, how, how do you feel? You know, I think all of us in life want to have find purpose and value and we want to make an impact. Through my family and my kids, I always had that, but it almost felt selfish because they're me, right? Yeah. Like everything I do for them is like kind of kind good of, for yourself. Yeah. yeah. And so I think I'm really grateful that every day I know that any time I spend with this, it's time well spent. Um, I'm grateful it's working. Um, you know, I think in the beginning every day I just wake up and be like, be brave, be brave, be brave. And, you know, I, I still feel that way, you know, because you kind of put yourself out there. Um, yeah. But it's easier when you're putting yourself out there for someone else. Um, I just hope that we do some good along the way and that it's always a place of positivity and love. Oh, Steph, you're doing a lot of good. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. Thank you. Thanks, Thanks Jeff. I yeah. appreciate it. What's up, Extraordinary S listeners? I hope you were inspired by Stephanie's story today. I think there are a lot of uh, ways that we can resonate with this. We all have challenges. We all struggle with different things. We all have things that we have questions to, qu unanswered questions 
things that don't make sense to us. There's so much more that we don't know about a lot of things than we do know. I'm always amazed by our ability to continue to have new discoveries and learn new things. I think that's such a blessing to the human race. This is something that's really sensitive. Thank you for being, please be patient with me in this episode. I I have never felt so, I guess, clumsy or, and I, I wasn't nervous or concerned at all to start, but just, this is such a sensitive topic. And let me tell you my experience, my experience with LGTBQ, I mean, that's such a mouthful, like I said, in and of itself. But the LGBTQ community, um, again, I have a couple of dear friends that fit within this community. And these are two of the best people I know. I love them. They love me. You know, they have a lot of, again, there's a lot more that link us together, even though, uh, you know, we have different sexual preferences and we have different life stories and we have different experiences. Again, I guess what I would say is let's err on the side of compassion. Again, we all have struggles. We all have things about ourselves that we probably wish we understood better and others gave us the benefit of the doubt of. I know this is a sensitive issue. I know it goes to the heart of a lot of who we are, but hey, I think two things you can count on me for. (laughs) Number one, um, doing my very best and putting my heart in the right place or trying to. And then number two, tackling hard issues and uh, trying to challenge myself and to grow and learn. I certainly tried to do this in that, you know, do that in this episode. Stephanie is trying to model that, I think, in her life as well. She doesn't have all the answers. She feels like, she told me she felt like she's a lot like I was, you know, she was maybe five years ago. And so um, we're all learning and growing here. Again, the two things I'll say, we have a lot more alike than we have different, no matter our differences. And you know, I have a couple this in the podcast studio in a couple places. Love is the answer. You know, 99.9% of the time, let's just love. Love is the answer. Let's love each other. Let's support each other, even in our differences, even in things that are hard to understand. I can just imagine and I hope that um, people in this community will listen to this episode or maybe a parent that struggled with this and that it will be helpful. And this will be a resource for them to uplift them. I hope that's the case. Love is the answer. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of the Extraordinary Us podcast with Jeff Burningham. Please help us grow by leaving a rating and review and subscribing on your favorite podcast platform. Also, tell your friends and share on social media. See you again next week. Hey guys, what's up? It's Jeff. And Sal. I'm here with my wife. Why? Because we're starting a podcast together. Yes, we are. And it's called... Under Our Bed. Why is it called that, Sally? Because we are sitting under our bed right now. We are. In this podcast. Yes. And we're going to be talking about things that are interesting 
vulnerable, relevant, funny. So check it out. <laughs> funny if you're on. <laughs> so check it out wherever you get your podcast, wherever you listen to The Extraordinary Us. Look for Under Our Bed with Jeff and Sal. Check it out. Good night. Good night.